0: Where is home? Not just a physical place, a country, a city, the house you grew up in. I'm asking what culture feels like home? Where do we feel like we belong? For third-culture kids, like Laura, and my kids, this is a difficult question. Laura was born in South America to a Bolivian mom and a Chinese dad. From the start, she felt a clash of cultures and a lack of belonging. Thirty-plus years and several cultures later, Laura is starting to find home where it had been all along, in herself. Let's hear her story and start the conversation. I'm Megan Kitchen, and this is Balancing Cultures. Welcome, Laura, to Balancing Cultures. Thanks so much for having me. You and I were messaging back and forth, getting ready for this interview. Mm -hmm. As we messaged, one of the words that jumped out at me was the word clash, because you said that your childhood was a clash of cultures. Mm -hmm. So maybe we just start at the beginning, and, and what cultures were those?
1: So I grew up in Bolivia. And my mom is Bolivian, my dad is Chinese. Okay. And these are two very different cultures. Bolivian?
0: What's the mother tongue of Bolivia? That would be Spanish. Spanish. And then your dad, was he born in China or was he born in South America?
1: No, he was born in Hong Kong and uh, immigrated with my grandfather to Bolivia when he was 10 years old. So then how did they meet? Uh, My dad ended up in a small town in Santa Cruz. That's the the state where I'm from. Um, So they met in a small town. They went to, I think they had
0: classmates that were friends
1: or something like that.
0: And your dad moving there at 10 years old, did he end up kind of assimilating and becoming quite Bolivian in his culture? Or did he remain relatively Chinese in culture?
1: Very Chinese. They arrived and they were welcomed by the Chinese community there. So they very quickly found their place, I would say, but within the the Chinese community because Bolivia had already a Chinese community.
0: This reminds me of an episode I did with my ex-colleague. The episode is Korean Texan. Mm -hmm. I think I heard that one. Yeah, his family moved from Korea to Texas, but his parents stayed Korean, as Korean as possible and found a little... Korean community there. Are you saying it's a similar situation with your dad and his family?
1: Yes, very similar. Yes.
0: But he was going to Bolivian school, and that's how he met your Bolivian mom. Yes. Okay. So then where do we go from there? Eventually, you come into the world.
1: Yes. So then I came in. I'm actually born in Argentina, in Buenos Aires.
0: Just to, just for fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, my dad had this thought that I, you know, should I need a different passport in the future? That would be it. It would be an Argentinian passport. And I guess at that point in time, I was born in 89. So uh, an Argentinian passport was considered something good. Okay. Uh, yeah. So they went there closer to my due date and, and they had me there. And then within, I think a couple of months, went back to Bolivia. and That's where I grew up.
0: So I'm not familiar with Bolivian history or culture. So Mm -hmm. was there a reason why your dad thought the Bolivian passport wouldn't be as strong as an Argentinian passport?
1: Yes. So Bolivia is a landlocked country in South America. And Mm -hmm. out of all of the countries that we're surrounded by, it's not the most developed. Okay. Yes. And I think politically, as we've seen in the last few years, it hasn't been doing good to the point that you really need a visa anywhere you go.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So his premonition was correct.
1: It, it was it was correct, but I didn't end up using an Argentinian passport. I actually have a British passport. So my dad was born when Hong Kong was part of the British colonies.
0: Oh, so then you applied for the British passport. Exactly. Through yes. your Hong Kong-born father. Yes. Okay. Because we've got Bolivia, Argentina, Hong Kong... <laughs> Yeah. British. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we're going to throw in a few more before the end of this interview. But I just want to step back to Bolivia for a moment. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, I don't know much, if, if anything, about Bolivia. So can you let us know a little bit more about kind of what that culture is? Because then we're going to look at what is, what is really the clash between that mm-hmm. and maybe the Hong Kong and Chinese side of right. your, your background. Yeah. Right. So what's Bolivia?
1: So, um, to me,
0: <laughs> to Latin you.
1: America I mean Latin American culture is very, very relaxed, yeah right? But I think Bolivia in particular, they're very um they like to let go and relax, and everything sort of centers around family as opposed mm-hmm. to Asian culture in general. I think they're more career centered their lives. Mm. and I mean, there are so many festivities through the year where it's just a lot of partying. <laughs> <laughs> right, we have we have carnival, which uh, we also have it here and, and and have it in Venice, but carnival in Bolivia is so different because it's three days of just playing with water and
0: party, and
1: I mean the whole the whole country just celebrates.
0: Is it a national holiday? Does is no one working basically? Nobody's working.
1: So it it's just three days of just people on the streets playing with water. It's it's a lot of fun for, for people who are extrovert and like to party. I am on the opposite side. But yeah, so in that sense, they, they just like to let go and I would say enjoy life a little bit more.
0: So this is where we can get to the clash part. Mm-hmm. So that's the easygoing. And then you've already alluded to the Chinese are maybe more work focused. So what was kind of the clash in your childhood as you're growing up with the bolivian mom and the hong kong born dad
1: because asian culture i feel like they are very rigid right very mm. rigid and career focused i don't want to say they don't like to <laughs> have fun but they just tend to be more reserved mm. yes so so growing up with two very you know different sides of the spectrum it was interesting because I would see something and be like, mm, but that's not me. But then I, I'm living here. Maybe I should go to a party, but then I don't. You know, so it's, it's always, I'm always walking a fine line between the two.
0: But do you feel that that culture clash was more internal and, and ways that you processed your own way of fitting in in the world? Or was there external pressure? Your mom pulling you one way or your dad and his family pulling you the other? What do you think it was more?
1: Mm, I think I think it was both. Um, and I mean, there are very specific moments in in my life where I feel like like I I was always different. When I went to elementary school, I knew I was different, and the kids made me feel that way too. Because my last name is was very different. It, it is mm. also uncommon an uncommon Chinese last name, so you don't really see that often. And then, you know, the, all the pressure, I remember being maybe eight or this, this feels like therapy. (laughs) I remember being like eight, nine years old. And and my parents took me to take an evaluation test to get into an English speaking boarding school. Okay. And I didn't pass it. And I remember being very disappointed by that.
0: You personally yes, were disappointed. Yes,
1: even though my parents weren't the type of parents that said, you have to work hard, you have to study hard. But somehow I could feel it, you know, and I, I within myself and, and sort of almost theirs, but they wouldn't really say anything. Mm. And I think in Asian culture... Um, we have the, the tiger moms, right, that yeah. <laughs> they're over their kids and you have to work hard. You have to study really hard. And and I, I've known kids like that, but my parents weren't like that, but I just felt it.
0: Which community were you more connected to? Was it the Bolivian side or the, like you said that your grandparents, when they first arrived with your dad when he's 10, joined this Chinese community? Which one were you more connected to? The Chinese community. So then when you don't pass this exam, you're looking, even though your mom's not a tiger mom, mm-hmm. what a great reference, <laughs> you see other tiger moms in your community. Absolutely. And you think, well, this is the expectation of my community that I succeed academically.
1: Yes. Yeah, there is a, there's a big Chinese community, in, especially in Santa Cruz, mm. and you get to know all the kids. You, you know each other, and when you do play dates, you play with them, and you know what, what the moms are talking about. Right? Or yeah. you go for a sleepover. They couldn't the other kids couldn't really play with you because they were doing homework and they needed to do homework. Um, mm. so yeah, I guess I guess I could yeah, we could say that, that I just felt the pressure <laughs> from seeing the other kids because these other
0: kids would go to English speaking schools and, and I wasn't going. Did you ever say that to your parents, though? The, did they know that you were putting that pressure on yourself? No, I don't think they even know now. <laughs> like, I well, they know now. They will. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering if your parents ever realized, like, oh, she's absorbing these expectations that we're not necessarily putting on her. Did they ever say anything to you, like, relax a little bit or... no.
1: No, no. no. I, I mean, this is, I, I started doing therapy about a month ago for the first mm. time ever. And, and these are things that are coming through and coming back. But, you know, even though they weren't tiger parents, I just knew it within me. Um, I just knew that I needed to try harder. Mm. And, and there were high expectations. I am the oldest out of all of my siblings. How many siblings? I have three, so we're four total. For total. So, and I mean, as the oldest, you already have a certain type of pressure that you need to show your younger siblings that, you know, as an example, you are an example for them. And e- even now, I think I'm trying to let go. I enrolled Chinese classes. Well, my dad made me <laughs> enroll Chinese <laughs> classes when I was maybe 13, 14.
0: Was this like a Saturday school?
1: Yes, it was. (laughs) And I just, I didn't like it at all. But we had to go and we went. And I mean, as part of the Chinese community, right? Mm -hmm. We just hang out with with all the Chinese kids. I was there maybe for four or five years. And I cannot remember any of it. Mm. I I couldn't pick up the language.
0: (laughs) I'm smiling over here because this is the fourth episode where Saturday school has come up. Oh. (laughs) So the first one was my sister-in-law who was living in the States and had to go to German Saturday school. Mm
1: -hmm. And she
0: said, honestly, I probably learned just as much German in home than I did at that school, so it probably wasn't worth it. Then my friend Mitch talked about raising an international kid and wanting to potentially send his kid to Japanese Saturday school, but he's like, I know the system's there. It's just going to be rigid, rote learning. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be fun. So it was like him as a dad And then recently I interviewed a guy from Sri Lanka who left Sri Lanka when the the Civil War was going on and went to Australia and then went to Saturday school to remain in the Tamil community. But for him, it was like a lifesaver because it reconnected him to the community that that he needed because he didn't feel connected to the Australian community as an immigrant. And so that was like life-saving, Tim. So it's funny to kind of hear everyone's different views on (laughs) Saturday school, which seems to be a universal thing. Yeah. Because now how many continents have we talked about (laughs) Saturday school (laughs) on? (laughs) But for you, so you were going to Bolivian school with Bolivian kids. Yes. But then you would go to Saturday school to stay connected to the Chinese community.
1: Yes. And I mean, we we did... All the celebrations that you have throughout the year, Chinese celebrations, so mm-hmm. Chinese Happy New Year, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the Moon Festival and all of that stuff, we would go to dinners and. But I never, I don't know, I never felt connected to them one hundred percent either because my parents were, you know, half and half, mm. and a lot of these kids had one hundred percent Chinese parents, right on both yeah. sides. So I was, I, I was the odd one out in in pretty
0: much every situation. <laughs> But like I asked before, is that you was that you putting those expectations on yourself or those thoughts of I don't fit in on yourself or were the other kids treating you that way?
1: I think it was it was part of one thing, part the other, and also yeah. part my dad would sometimes make comments, you know, we, we're not like people from here. We we do things a little bit different. Was he saying that in a positive way? No. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, <laughs> mostly negative, mostly negative. Aww. Um, because you know, um, to him, the Bolivian culture is a little bit too lazy, mm. right? And and I think I've throughout the years I've I've realized that it's it's not that it's something different, but yeah, to him, they just do he, we just did things very differently. We were more efficient, yeah. So that sets a sort of a a bar for for the kids, right?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, if he's making those comments, even if they're side comments, those things get absorbed. Yes. And they impact how you're then processing, like, as you're looking around what is your home country. Mm -hmm. It's influencing how you're processing and seeing things.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, I wonder then, because I I know kind of what happens next, (laughs) did that then influence your eagerness to get out of the country and study abroad. Because the next thing I'm going to ask you about is you ended up studying abroad in the US, mm-hmm. and then you went to university in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask, what drew you to North America? Is this part of that, what your dad was saying about Bolivian culture?
1: So n- not exactly. This was sort of by chance. Okay. It's, it's interesting. It' a turning point of in, li- in my life, because if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't be here. So I go to, you know, Bolivian school and Mm -hmm. one of my friends says, Oh, I am doing a foreign exchange student program to the States. And I thought, Oh wow, that's so interesting. So I go home and we're sitting at the dinner table and I just sort of like tell my dad. And he said, Oh, that would be really cool. And I thought in my head I was like, Okay, I think this is something I need to get on. So I started doing the research and he asked me, Do you wanna go? And I said, Yeah. So that's how I ended up in the States. <laughs> how how old were you at this time? I was uh, seventeen.
0: So oh, was, okay. yeah.
1: So I was in my last year of high school in Bolivia. In Bolivia school starts um, February and ends in
0: October. Oh yeah, South America. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then did you go straight from this study abroad experience in the US into university in Canada or did you go home in between?
1: I went back to Bolivia for a couple of years, and then my husband and I met, uh, well, he's my husband now, back then we were dating, but uh, we met online through this design platform, this design website where you would post your portfolio.
0: Uh
1: And we did the long distance relationship for a couple of years. And at that point, he was in Sweden doing his
0: master's, and he said, well, I'm going back to Toronto. How many countries are we at now? We just added Sweden into this. Yes, it's very complicated. We're going to have to do a tally at the end of how many countries we mention in this episode. Yes. But, yep. So, so, sorry, but so you're doing long distance. So you're back in Bolivia. Mm-hmm. You're having a long distance relationship with your Canadian-born, but I know from our previous conversation, half Italian husband, mm-hmm. who's living in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Okay, then what happens?
1: So he said, "Well, I'm going back, he was finishing his master." So he says, "Well, I'm going back to Toronto. What do you think about going to university there?" And at that point I was doing two years university in Bolivia. It was on my second year and I thought I I I always knew I wanted to get out. I wasn't mm-hmm. uh I wasn't really happy with the level of education I was getting as a graphic designer and I knew there was something better out there. So my options were either the States, um, Argentina, or when he said Canada,
0: and I thought, well, I'll put that in my list. So then you had this United States cultural experience when you're in high school, and now you're off to Canada Mm -hmm. for university. How did those cultures then meld with the cultures that you've had from your childhood?
1: I would say the States was very, maybe because it was the first country that I went to um, on my own and, mm. and actually lived there. It was a big, big difference. It, everything that I knew about Bolivia being liberal, it just sort of amplified in the States. It was even more liberal.
0: Ah, so by comparison, once you got to the US, you were like, oh, I thought Bolivia was liberal before. No, Mm -hmm. now it's like super liberal.
1: Yes, because I mean, at 16, when I went to... What state were you in? I was in Kentucky.
0: Oh, goodness. Yes. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and say culture shock.
1: Yes, yes. And I mean, I am from a small town in Bolivia. My dad tried to get us to a better school in the city, in a bigger city, Mm -hmm. in Santa Cruz. So... I was familiar with a bigger city. So going to Kentucky, and it was Morganfield, Kentucky, in the tri-state area, they said. So it was even smaller. I mean, you could, you know, there was just like the the main street, lots of churches, and that was it. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Yes.
0: Because I think something that's come up in other episodes as I've talked to other Americans or people living in America is you can't necessarily say that one U.S. experience covers all u.s no living from one place doesn't mean you can speak for all the places because it's so different yes and then in canada where did you end up in canada what city in toronto in toronto and Mm -hmm. then how was that experience compared to bolivian culture or even your u.s (laughs) kentucky we're not even gonna say u.s anymore we're gonna say kentucky Kentucky. experience
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh well i i didn't know what to expect from toronto Um, I, I didn't really Google what it was like, any type of review, you know, neighborhoods or anything like that. Nothing at all. I just sort of got there. I mean, when I think melting pot, that's what Toronto is. Is it? Yeah, it is. I've never actually been. My favorite city in the whole world. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a study in in 2017 that they said that about 47% of people living in Toronto are immigrants. Oh, wow. Yes. And that was my favorite part because I I feel like almost part of being Canadian is being from somewhere else. Hmm. I got there and it it was so normal to see people on the streets speaking a different language that wasn't English.
0: Was there a sense of comfort there compared to Bolivia where you stood out a little bit for being different?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes. Aside from Toronto being... You know, they have a, a big Chinese population, so they have Chinatown. There is a big Italian population, so they, there's a little Italy, little Portugal. It's just oh, cool. yes, it, it it is the most amazing place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly like you're saying. Just I didn't stick out like a like a sore thumb. I was just mm. part of part of the city. Yeah.
0: Well, you just said there's a there was a Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Did you seek out any Chinese connections when you got to Canada? Interestingly, no. Yeah, I don't I wouldn't even say interestingly. I think I hear this from a lot of people that they don't necessarily want to seek out these connections if they're in a very international place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. Yes. Balancing cultures, it's not just the title. (laughs) I think it is a balance. It's saying that I'm not just one thing and I get to choose, even day-to-day, you know, how I want to. Process things that I'm looking at, and what values I have, and who I want to connect with. Mm -hmm. And maybe you get to Canada and you say, "You know what? I am Chinese. I'm proud of that. It's made me who I am." But I'm going to start making other connections. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember I enrolled my first day of first day of university, and we had one specific ESL class, and I was very surprised to see that there were about twenty kids. That came from Asia, either Chinese or Korean uh, or Japanese. Or and then there was one Peruvian girl, my best friend, and then there was me, <laughs> and that was it. And I was to me that was mind blowing because I've never I had never been into a room so diverse like that, and it, it was comforting. It was nice.
0: Yeah, you were all there for the same purpose, mm-hmm. just to to learn and to grow. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that kind of visual of you like finding home in this melting pot. Yes. Well, what, what would you say is your mother tongue? Ooh. Yeah, I didn't ask that question. <laughs> you can just add it. Um, oh, okay. Like, Great. <laughs> what would you say is your mother
1: tongue? <laughs> oh, I, it's, okay, this is very interesting because before I went to Bolivia in March and I hadn't gone back in 10 years. Mm. And I had forgotten a little bit of the language. Yeah, so because I didn't speak it as much, um, even though with my parents, I speak Spanish. uh, But Mm -hmm. it wasn't... With both your parents. but it wasn't as often. Um, I I don't speak to them (laughs) all the time, because parents. But yeah, it was was almost, I was forgetting a little bit. And even here, when I meet people from Spain or or Mexico, and they speak to me in Spanish, I'm like, oh, can we just switch to English? Yeah, but yeah, I, I guess Spanish. Is your mother tongue.
0: What, what's your dominant language? English.
1: English, yes. English. <laughs> when I go to a doctor's office, they always ask, so where do you come from? And I just, I'm going to spare you the whole story, but I'll just say Canada. Yeah. And they're like, okay, oh,
0: it's a nice country. Yeah, just like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Canada is like saying the USA, that it doesn't matter what face you have. Because let's be honest, they're asking that question because of your yeah. face and maybe your last name. Yeah. Um it doesn't matter what your last name or your face is when you say Canada or USA cuz it's like oh okay yeah all the all faces and all last names can come from those places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's such an easy answer. I don't know if we should do like a mid tally of cultures before we move on to the next one. Okay. We're about to add another country. So let's see. <laughs> Born in Argentina, but you're Bolivian? And Chinese with a Hong Kong-born dad. Mm-hmm. And then you're in a relationship with a Canadian-born Italian mm-hmm. who lived in Sweden for a little bit, then came back to Canada. You're mm-hmm. now in Canada for university, but you were in Kentucky, USA. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't end there. Oh, no. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at so all. next move is you go to Austria. So how did you go from Canada to Austria?
1: I got to Toronto, and then within six months, my husband tells me, boyfriend at that point, he said, I got an internship in Munich, I gotta go. So he moved here to Munich, and of course I needed to finish university. I graduated, and one of our friends who worked at a design studio in Austria said, who knew our story, and we're Mm -hmm. trying to get... You know, we're trying closer to, live to, each a, other. Exactly, try to live in the same country or something. <laughs> At least get
0: across the ocean.
1: Exactly. So he said, I can get you an internship here and that way you guys will be closer. So mm. okay, that's perfect. So let's do it. So I, yeah, so I was in Austria for six months and on weekends, I would just cross the border here to Munich.
0: <laughs> and then what made you make this final little leap into Germany?
1: I finished my internship there. I came to Munich to look for jobs. I sent out about 150 applications and nobody hired me. And the main problem with my applications were that I didn't speak German, Mm. which I completely understand. And anyway, so I went into this one interview. The guy said, you are perfect for the studio. We want to give you the job. We signed the contract. I went back to Toronto to apply for my German visa. And I waited around for about two or three months, and it got denied. So then I had to stay in Toronto for a few years until we got married. Oh, my goodness. And I could come here. Yeah. But now you're here. Yes.
0: Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. And just to show up all those studios and design jobs that rejected you, you've started your own thing now. I
1: did. You know, when I moved here, I already knew what the scene was like. Yeah. And it was also the right time for me to do my own thing. I mean, my I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Mm. So I, I don't know what it's like to work nine to five. So I said, okay, this is the right time. So I just, yeah, opened up my own studio. I'm a brand designer. Mm. And I love collaborating with female entrepreneurs and just giving them that power that they need to just take their brand to the
0: next level. You have beautiful designs. Thank I'm you. All- Put the links in the show notes to all your social media and your webpage for listeners to go look. It's gorgeous. Thank you. I'm just wondering, an entrepreneur, that drive, it sounds like, comes from both sides. Because you need a little bit of the free spirit Mm -hmm. of the Bolivian culture and the risk taking, but you also need a little bit of the analytical, career-driven Chinese side. So it's like you had the best of both worlds to really push you towards this, this goal.
1: Absolutely. I think the you know, I I've moved a lot and I've met a a lot of people and I think the the beautiful thing about this whole experience and this whole journey is that I get to grab the good things mm. from each each culture and each thing that I that I learn and and try to put it all together
0: and and make something good out of it. Yeah. What are some of the Bolivian things that you Want to make sure you hold tight to traditions or values. I, I am a person of I, I love food. Culture <laughs> and food are
1: my main thing. So food is is really strong for me.
0: Yeah, what's a Bolivian dish that that's standing out for you? I, a lot of the tea
1: time pastries. Ooh. Yes, those are amazing. I mean empanadas and they're, mm, yes yeah filled with cheese there's there's mm. a lot of cheese involved let's um,
0: talk more about
1: that <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a tapioca based um it's like a bake okay uh, and it has cheese in it too uh, <laughs> more cheese flan i mean i mean bolivia is really influenced by so many countries but flan it's sort of spanish but flan is another thing we have salteñas which is like a a better
0: version of an empanada can there be such a thing <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I think I think we're gonna have to link some like recipes or Bolivian food bloggers Absolutely. just so people can get into this we'll yes. have to do that and then what about from your Chinese side what do you hold on to from Chinese culture and values well I
1: Again, I, food is a big thing. Um. <laughs> I'm seeing a theme. Yes. Um. <laughs> no. Food. The thing is that my dad had a, a restaurant growing up when I was growing oh, up, so nice. I grew up. Yeah. So I grew up in the restaurant industry. So I, I know food a little bit. <laughs> As a designer, I like artwork. I like art, mm. and I really appreciate that. So we have a few uh, Asian illustrations and for example, Chinese New Year. It's a very fun celebration. And I try to give out their little red envelopes to my siblings when I can.
0: Oh, I like that. So do you think now a lifetime of being in multiple cultures and interacting with multiple cultures pushes you To continue this exploration, that you want to meet people from other places and try food, let's bring up food one more time, (laughs) from other places, are you just kind of a multicultural addict now?
1: I would say so, yes. So something I didn't mention is when I was in university, as my final thesis, I chose the topic of home and how it relates to immigration and culture. And then that led me to... Are you familiar with Anthony Bourdain?
0: Oh, of course. May he rest in peace. Yeah,
1: see, uh, a hero of mine. And he's got this beautiful quote where he says that he doesn't believe in a strict system. Because every time he traveled from one place to another, whatever he thought was okay yesterday is completely wrong the next day. Hmm. Right? So it is this journey... process of learning that we're constantly learning so for me it is like that we've been here I've been here in Munich for three years and we think okay we have maybe a few more years here where would we like to go next right and to me to me there is an excitement to learning of another culture and moving to another place there is this new thing that just fires you up Mm. yeah so it, it does pushes me to to learn about something different than because there, the world is much bigger
0: than just my own little bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And your bubble's bigger than most people's. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: and, yes, and if I think that there is more, there is a lot more.
0: Yeah. There's yeah. always more.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, then at this point you just mentioned home. Where do you call home?
1: Hmm. hmm. I think I think it is within you within within ourselves i i've done a lot of searching and even after my thesis i i every year i go back to it and it's just within yourself we, we look and search outside but it's just inside of us yeah. yeah we we bring comfort to ourselves and i mean i i think about it that way part of me thinks about it that way Another side of me, though, (laughs) I have this. I have a. I have this little. I have a box, and I call it my home box. Everybody knows it as my home box. It's little trinkets that I've collected over the years that people have given me, and little notes and things like that. Cards that I just once a year I sit and I open it and I go through it, and it just reminds me of my journey. Because sometimes I can, we can get lost in our problems. Yeah. But that is a good reminder of of how far I've come in my journey. It's been so so special to me and it, it makes me who I am.
0: I love that idea mm-hmm. of the home box. Yeah. I'd love to start something like that with my kids. Yes. Because they're already multicultural mm-hmm. because of my husband and I not coming from this country. And we're gonna travel. We've already, you know, they've got many stamps in their passports already, and they're not even four. Yeah. <laughs> and to to let them start documenting their journey through trinkets and little tokens and things, I think is such a great idea.
1: Yes. It's it's amazing. I am yeah, I, I don't wanna say I am a hoarder, but I like I like to collect things that remind me of a special
0: time. How big is the box? <laughs> It's big. <laughs> it's big. She's. Yeah. A, it's a container, actually. It's a shipping container. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. But if, if I could
1: have one like that, I would. Yeah. I would totally feel it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, with this home box, and you've got a life full of different cultures. Mm-hmm. What culture do you call your own, or cultures? Because this is balancing cultures. So, mm. which cultures are you balancing? Okay. Mm.
1: because well, this is the interesting thing so when I moved to Toronto um, my husband's uh, mom's side being Italian mm. and I always tell people we were in a long distance relationship but I was dating his family <laughs> in a way <laughs> I mean I spent a lot of time with them because he wasn't there and they would still have me over for dinner and birthdays and you know all of the celebrations I was there mm-hmm. so we can throw Italian in there, like really, really throw Italian. And not to go back into food again, but... Uh, but, but let's do it. Sometimes, like, you know, when I'm home, I, I like to cook. I am a big home cook. And sometimes we will have congee. Sometimes we will have Bolivian version of chicken soup. Sometimes we will have pastina, right? Mm-hmm. So, and they're all chicken soup, but it's just... It, this balancing of, of everything that we know. We also love the, the German beef soup that has the little pancakes on top. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we try to be as diverse as possible with our food, not to just stick to one thing. I did grow up eating a lot of real real Chinese food. But, yeah, we try to balance that. And, I mean, when you come to, <laughs> if you can come to my apartment, you know, and, and visit me. You heard it audience, I did not invite myself.
0: But I get to go. <laughs> yes.
1: But you you'll notice that we have little trinkets that, you know, are are from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. From from all of our travels and our backgrounds. Yeah. And I think I think that's a beauty. I, I there is a beauty in not identifying yourself as one thing.
0: So if I can bring it back to the start, mm-hmm. it sounds like what started as a clash mm-hmm. in your childhood and this I would even say a feeling of unease mm-hmm. when balancing cultures has turned into something really comforting
1: yeah.
0: and a new definition of home.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think as a, ki- as a kid, I probably didn't understand it and I saw it as a negative. And mm. now that I, I just turned 31 in the summer, and <laughs> as, a, as a grown woman, I would say that it, it's taught me a lot a lot of empathy and understanding for other cultures. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And empathy for your past self too. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We have to be a little more kind to ourselves and our past experiences, I think. Yes. Well, I'm glad for everything you've gone through because it sounds like it's created such a wonderful human here today. Thank you. (laughs) And yes, I will be coming over for some (laughs) cooking. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Did you have fun? Yes. You said it felt like therapy. You are not the first person to say that to me. Oh, wow. I get that all the time. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're like really digging deep here.
1: (laughs) It's difficult to have a conversation about culture without going into the depth of your personality and your family history.
0: Yeah. And I think it's valuable because there are there's at least one person who's going to hear your story and goes yes <laughs> that's me you know maybe it's not chinese and bolivian yeah. maybe it's japanese and argentinian mm-hmm. or or something else but they're going to go oh my gosh that's me <laughs> i felt that way too and it's yeah it'll be encouraging a big thank you to laura for sharing her story i can't wait to take her inspiration of the home box and start one for everyone in my family. I want to help my third culture kids find belonging and find home. With these boxes, they can treasure home wherever they go. For food inspiration and more about Laura, go to the show notes on balancingcultures.com, episode 23. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen.